Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. So, as I said before, we're in, we're in the last week of our James series. We're going to be looking at the bulk of, of chapter 5 this morning and considering that faith at work prays powerfully. You know, prayer is not limited to any particular zone. Like, God doesn't hear your prayers more when you're in a church building or in a church service than He does when you're at work. He hears all prayers. He, remember, He's right there with us. He promises to be with us. And prayer is such a powerful way to see your workplace transformed, whether you do it out loud or whether you do it silently in your heart. Prayer is powerful. And we're going we're gonna to get to that, but I feel like there's so much that James does in the, in the earlier verses before we get to the prayer, uh, uh, that section on prayer that may be familiar to you in verses 13 to 15, uh, we're going to do a bit of work to get there because I think it's really important the context that James sets for prayer, for prayer to be powerful and effective. Let's see how he does that. Before we do that, I'm going to put up a photo that I apologize if it grosses you out. Can we get that photo of Fletcher up on the screen? Sorry if your stomach is churning. This is from a few years ago um, when Fletcher was a bit younger. And uh, it was one of, those, one of those moments as a dad where you pray that it's not that bad. <laughs> he fell off his bed and hit his head on the drawer that was open and it split open. I'm like, a Band-Aid will do. He'll be right. Like, come on, we've got, we got any of those Steri-Strip things. We can seal it up. And then that, that moment that, that dawned on me where it's like, nah, this is serious. He needs to go to the hospital. And it's not... I feel like it's a lack of care that makes me want to avoid having to take my son to emergency as much as it is my hate, hatred of sitting around waiting. I hate waiting. And when you go to emergency, I don't know what it's like here at Redlands, although I did take Job, it was a lot quicker when he cut his foot open. But for Fletcher back then, I think we were there for about 12 hours. No, it wasn't 12. Brooke's shaking her head. No, it was probably 12 minutes. No, no, about five hours, I think it was for this one. Yeah, that, that's about right. Um, but, it, but it's so much waiting. You have to get there. They have to do the, the assessment first up and then the doc walks out and you wait, you wait an hour and then the doc comes back with another doctor and they look together and then they go away and they talk. They think you can't hear them, but you can hear them and it's, it can be quite offensive. But they keep, they keep and then, then another person comes in and then another person comes in after that and five hours later, they're finally worked out how they're going to sew up this eye. just waiting upon, waiting upon, waiting. And this, this I, I, again, my memory's a bit sketchy for the sake of the illustration. I think this was late at night, so I was getting tired, um, and it was just, you know, I, I, but in, in, that, in that waiting, there's no way I was going to say to Brooke, hey, I'm just going to duck out and take my laptop and do some work, because I might as well use this time uh, effectively. If it was your son in this, a moment like this, what would you say to me? I think you'd say, be patient, be patient. I remember a few years ago, as well, back in the 2017-2018 Ashes series here in Australia, the game at the Gabba, you may remember it as well. Um, this, this match was a real reason why they call it a test. Test match cricket is still my favorite form of the game. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a real test of patience. And in this game, Steve Smith made a century, 141, and here's the thing, he made this century off 326 balls. That's a pretty low strike rate, even for a test match uh, 100. It was the slowest and yet most magnificent century I've ever seen in my lifetime. The batting order around him was collapsing, but he, he stuck fat, he stuck in there, and he played a really patient 100 that lifted the team, I think, to victory. 
under the conditions of the match, it required incredible nerve, incredible skill, and incredible patience. Patience is something that we talk about so much in Christian circles, and, but it's also not limited to the church. It's not limited to Christians. Patience is something uh, that we say is a virtue. It's something that we want to practice. It's something that we want to sort out and we want to have as a value in our lives. But if you drill down a bit on the two examples that I've given, waiting for Fletcher in emergency and then Steve Smith's 100, there's actually a really big difference between those two things. There's a really, even though we would say be patient, there's a really big difference between the two because the first one with Fletcher, really that is just waiting for extended periods of, periods of time. I've made up this word to describe this whole idea of waiting. It's going to come up on the screen. Waitchance. There should be an I before the T. Wait, not watchance. Waitchance. Waitchance. I've got to say it a few times because I struggle to pronounce it. Waitchance is this ability that some of us have just, just to wait. It can, it can really be incredibly frustrating, but if you just sit there and wait and practice waitchance and, and pray that God would give you the spirit of waitance, so you can just sit there and do nothing until the time is over, well then, bless you. But this is very different to the Steve Smith example. Steve Smith, I reckon, had a different kind of patience. It was actually patience that he didn't just wait. He didn't just wait. He worked while he waited. And this is the difference between waitance and patience. I remember this song that I would hear on the radio that just gets stuck in your head on, on Christian radio and the, the chorus went something like, this is just a waiting room and we're waiting for your love. I reckon James would cringe at that. And you know, if you've been tracking with this series, you know James gets pretty feisty at times. I reckon he would blast that. This is just a waiting room and we're waiting for your love. Like This earth is just a waiting room? That is actually terrible theology. We're just here waiting until Jesus comes back. We're waiting until we die so we can go and be with him. This is not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures don't teach waitance. They teach patience. I hope you see that biblical Jesus-type patience is more like Steve Smith's century than it is like me complaining about waiting for Fletcher's eye to be fixed. I think if we fall for waitance, what we're actually believing is the wrong gospel, a very narrow gospel that says something like, my ticket to heaven has been secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So one day I'm going to go to heaven. And that's the gospel. And if that's all the gospel is, then all I have to do is wait for that moment where he comes to get me or I go to him. And in the meantime, I'll just wait. Hey, and while I'm waiting, I might as well do what I want. You see how when we, when we just limit the gospel to the death and resurrection of Jesus to secure our eternal salvation, that can develop waitance. But the gospel is Jesus has secured a place for us in heaven. He's died on the cross, but he's also made a way for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the curtain has torn in the temple. The presence of God has gone out into the world and he is working in the world to have people encounter the life-transforming message of Jesus. And we are to practice patience, which is working while we wait, working hard while we wait, working like Steve Smith scoring 100. Understanding the true gospel develops biblical Jesus-type patience. And I see when, when we look at the book of James, he has these, these, these bookends of patience. Remember, he started off with, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. That's where we started this whole deal in James. 
And that, that's patience. Consider it pure joy. So when we have biblical Jesus-type patience, we have this joy as we patiently work to see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can do that even as we face trials of many kinds. James goes on then to lay out the way we should live in the light of the gospel, unpacking three practices of care, of controlling our speech, and then pursuing holiness. But then when we hit verse 5, we get back to the beginning again of be patient. Be patient. So let's pick it up in verse 7 as we think about this Steve Smith sort of patience, not the wanchance that I'm working on every time one of my kids cuts their head open. Verses 7 and 8. I'm going to read through uh, James 5, 7 to 20, but I'm going to do bit by bit and make some comments in between. So I'm going to start with verses 7 and 8. James writes, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Let me tell you something that I learned about farming, and it was while I was living in Toowoomba, I think I've told you guys that being in Toowoomba for 10 years, I learned a whole lot more about farming than I ever knew. But there was one day when I was driving this horrible drive from Toowoomba to Dolby. Has anyone ever driven that road before, Toowoomba to Dolby? Like it's a horrible, straight, flat, boring road that takes about 50 minutes, sometimes 30 if you get really bored. No, 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 no. There's a lot of crashes on that road because it's just so mundane and boring. I was driving, I think I was in the passenger seat on this particular day, and I, I went alongside, uh, I've got a photo here that kind of gives you the idea of what I saw. This isn't exactly what I saw, but it was just uh, as far as the eye could see, lines and lines and lines of crops. I don't know what the crop was, but there was lots of them. And it was like the farmer had done a whole lot of work to plant those crops and, and, and they started to grow. But what the farmer didn't do was then go away for three months or however long it took for these crops to mature. He didn't go away for three months, have a great time and then come back and have the harvest. And I know this because what I saw him doing, he had taken out, so if you think about rows and rows of crops, so they've got machines that take care of this stuff, right? They've got machines that till the soil, they've got machines that plant the seed, all that sort of stuff. But here's this farmer with his tractor parked and he's got a handheld hoe. You know the thing with the little hook on the end? The hoe. And he is working on a patch of the dirt that's about a metre square. Acres and acres, hectares and hectares of crops. But he is working on this particular patch to make sure that it is healthy and is going to grow crops. So when James says, see how the farmer waits, it's not just this waiting without like waiting somewhere else and enjoying life until he comes back. The waiting is watching and, and working and seeing that the crops are all healthy. And if a little patch needs a bit of work, well, I'm going to do that because I want maximum yield. The farmer doesn't develop wait-chance. The farmer patiently works and he knows the work is not done until harvest, where it's a time of celebration. There is work to do every day in between. He doesn't just wait it out. This is the patience that James is talking about when he encourages us to wait. It's, not, it's, it's working while we wait. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This is, this is angry James again. This word grumble means hard complaining, hard complaining. Can anyone say, yep, I've hard complained before? I might have even hard complained this morning when I had to get out of bed early on a Sunday morning. Well, Hard complaining is, not, is something that certainly isn't absent in the church in 2021. 
I've been, I've, I've experienced grumbling and complaining that's come out of my own mouth, but I more so have heard the grumbling and complaining that comes out of other people's mouths and the stuff that I complain, complained about are often pretty silly. But here's, here's, what I, here's where I think you can tell whether you're developing waitance or patience. It's the amount you complain. It's the amount you complain about things, and particularly about your church. So if you're, if you're practicing waitance, what you desire is the maximum comfort before Jesus comes back or before you go to Him. And if it's not comfortable, and if it's not the, the way you want things, well, you're going to complain, you're going to grumble. This kind of gives you a way whether you're developing waitance or patience. Whereas if you're patiently working and you patiently have found your call, like we heard from Ross before, you found that call, this is where I'm to be salt and light. This is where I'm to pray that God's kingdom would come and His will would be done here. If I'm getting on with that, well, you know what? I'm going to complain less about the songs we sing or don't sing on Sunday. I'm going to complain less about the temperature of the room. I'm going to complain less about these programs not being available. I'm going to complain less because, you know what? I haven't got time to complain. I need to work. And so this grumbling is actually a revealer of, of where you're at in the waitance versus patience development process. And James warns us that like, like a boss appearing at the door when you should be working instead of fighting or instead of waiting, James says the judge is coming and that judge is Jesus. Grumbling and complaining go to another level when we're suffering. You know, if we're suffering, and that prayer before about when we, just out of the worship, when we, when we understood and reminded ourselves that Jesus is right here with us, sometimes when we forget that and we're in the middle of suffering and in the middle of a trial, our complaining can get more intense because we forget who God is and we forget who Jesus is and He's very present with us in whatever circumstance we face. We can trust that He is working for the good for those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. We get a living example from James of someone who practiced patience. Brothers and sisters, in verse 10, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I see two things that stand out to me here about patience as opposed to waitance. One is implicit, and it's this. Christian, you are not immune to suffering. You are not immune to suffering. No one is actually immune to suffering, but sometimes I think we think that we are. We're not. Jesus tells us many times, you will have trouble in this world. When you, when you go and live for me, there'll be opposition. People will hate you. There's going to be suffering. And that's not to mention all the other stuff of life that just causes suffering, like health and financial stress and all those sorts of things. We are not immune. We're not immune to suffering. The difference between you and the next person is not the suffering itself, but how you walk through that suffering, how you approach it, how you endure it, how you respond when you know that you have a father who is about your good, no matter what circumstance you find yourselves in. And your prayer is not so much, God, end this suffering, although that's a fine prayer to pray, but a, but a more important prayer and a deeper prayer is, God, help me to understand what you're doing. Help me to trust that if I could see what you could see, you'd be doing, I'd be doing the exact same thing. So Christian, you are not immune to suffering, but how you carry yourself through suffering should be different. The second is explicit. 
you, we, you saw what the Lord finally brought about for Job. Job's words, he says in his book, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. What a beautiful testimony. I'd heard of you when I, when I heard testimony of your goodness and everything from, from other people, but now my eyes have seen. I have experienced this. There is something about suffering in God's economy that creates this opportunity for us to go to depths with Him that aren't possible at other times. And instead of complaining our way through it, embracing it, saying, God, if this is what you have for me, help me to come out the other end with a deeper knowledge of you. Help me to come out the other end with a deeper intimacy with you. I watched my father-in-law move through the grief of losing his wife, and they would have celebrated 50 years last week, 50 years of marriage. But their, their marriage, uh, she, she died about eight years ago. I watched him walk through that grief, and it was intense grief. I watched him walk through it with the stuff that I'm talking about here. I watched him walk through it with a spirit of comfort, knowing the spirit of comfort, knowing the spirit of love and of deep intimacy with God. And I saw in him this possibility, that the, the reality of the possibility that we can walk through suffering, we can walk through pain and grief with pure joy. Everything else says, this sucks. Everything else says, there's no way that this can be good. And yet for the follower of Jesus, we can go through those moments with pure joy. And I saw a walking witness of that in my father-in-law. In a moment like we're in right now, right now in this moment that we're in as a city, as a state, as a nation, as a world, we are suffering right along with the rest of Queensland. We're suffering right along with the rest of humanity. But there should be something remarkable about the way we move through it as followers of Jesus. James goes on in verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. I think it's always ironic when I remember going to court when I lost my peas when I was a young fella. That's all I'm going to say about that. And the judge made me swear on the Bible. And I just remember at the time, I didn't have the guts to say anything, but I thought, isn't it ironic that we're asked to swear on the Bible? We're in it. It says, don't swear on anything. <laughs> so just let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. So next time you're in court and you're asked to swear on the Bible because you want to get your life back, say, actually, I'm not comfortable with that because, yeah, and you can say it. And James is, is quoting here when he says this, he's quoting Jesus' own words from Matthew 5. I think, I think suffering... I'm sure suffering produces a stress in us. And sometimes we need supernatural help to find that pure joy and that patient endurance. But, but sometimes, probably more often than not for most of us, what we lean into is our own ability to get ourselves out of the mess. What we lean on is our own resources and our own ability to control things that will help us, getting, to help us get out of the, of the mess. And, and maybe like there's a, there's a time and culture difference between what James is saying here about swearing on things but I think the, 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 the crossover for us and the translation of this to our day is we try to figure it out ourselves and get ourselves sometimes into a deeper hole in order to avoid or get past the mess we're in. This is like a swearing of an oath. I'm going to swear on this because I need to get myself out of this suffering. This is done in contracts and signatures rather than swearing oaths these days. And there's so many people who work in the financial industry who can promise to get us out, but actually tying us up in more chains. These are 
the, uh, the high-end examples. I think what a more common example of, of what James is saying here is when you, you really want to convince someone of your rightness. You really want to convince someone of your ability and your integrity. So just saying yes, you have to swear it. You have to convince people. You have to go hard to say, no, this, this is me. This is my life. I look at Peter. This is Peter, one of the pillars of the church. And under the stress of association with Jesus, he swore that he did not know the man. Instead of using our tongues for this, instead of using our tongues to swear oaths in order to secure our um, reputation in the eyes of others, James directs our tongues to something else. He directs our tongues and our hearts to prayer. Verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Grumbling and self-protection, as we've heard about earlier, that grumbling when we complain because we're going through suffering or whatever, and that self-protection to try and secure our future with our own resources, these are the instincts developed by those who are practicing Waitance. The instinct of those who are practicing biblical Jesus type patience is prayer. There's another giveaway whether you've got waitance going on or patience. If you're more about grumbling and self protection, you're probably developing nothing more than waitance. But if your instinct in the middle of everything that life throws at you is prayer, then that's brilliant. You're into patience. And James here covers off pretty much all the circumstances of life in very broad very broad headings. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. Are you praising God? Are you sick? Pray. Dealing with sin? Pray. And then he says, don't just pray on your own, pray with others. And note the direction here to community. There is, a, there is an accent here on communal prayer. And I think this is something that we are notoriously bad at praying together as God's people. You know, prayer meetings, they have little ebbs and flows and usually low rather than high amounts of people coming together to pray. The direction here to community, praying together as God's people. This is a really important accent for James that we do that together. Elijah was an ordinary person like you and me. There's nothing special about Elijah, but his prayers were super effective. They were aligned with the will of God. Elijah's instinct was prayer because he was developing a biblical Jesus-type patience. And while directing us to community, James uses these final words to encourage us to do something that, again, I don't think we naturally like doing. The last two verses say, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Jesus, uh, sorry, James closes out his letter from where he began it. Patient endurance through trial and suffering of, very, of various kinds. 
pure joy in the midst of that. And for those of us who are developing Jesus' biblical type patience, our instinct is prayer. For those of us who are developing waitance, our instinct is grumbling and self-protection. I wonder where you find yourself this morning. James encourages us through all of this with the reward of a deeper intimacy with Jesus. And when you have deeper intimacy with Jesus, that only develops your instinct to pray, to pray. He warns us not to grumble or swear for self-protection, but to direct our tongues to prayer and to praise. And the final words, a reminder of the crucial practice of the church gathering together. That we would gather together to pray for one another. Proximity is super important to do what James is saying here for us to do. I think there's a great temptation, and again, in this particular moment, in this season, that temptation has been amped up to remove ourselves from the church community, to, to not make it a priority to gather together. I, I think of the, the difference between the early church who understood the mission of God and, and their place in it to, to, to the degree that they gathered daily. Could it be that our reluctance to gather as the people of God that seems to be the way that we find ourselves in from time to time, could it be that we don't have the same intensity of understanding of the mission of God that they did? That we struggle sometimes to even meet weekly? Hey, and I know the struggle. I know the struggle. I'm not a perfect example of this here. And my mind at this point goes to Hebrews 10, which has so much resonance with James. James has reminded us of our access to God through prayer in Jesus' name and moved us into that, the importance of community and, and then the gift of accountability and vulnerability and authenticity. This is what the writer of Hebrews does as well when he, when he writes in chapter 10 uh, from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The writer of Hebrews to this point has painted a beautiful picture of the real gospel. That gospel does not produce waitance. That gospel produces biblical Jesus-type patience. And the next thought just comes so naturally out of that when he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love, we could have just talked about prayer this morning. Just the, the beauty, the wonder, the power of prayer. But to set it in the context of patience, to set it in the context of the community of faith that gathers, helps us to see the importance of prayer in the midst of that as we gather as His people and we connect with Him through prayer, praying for one another, encouraging one another towards love and good deeds. That's the beauty of prayer in action. Waitance throw it away. Waitance is the result of a narrow understanding of the gospel. It just says, I've got my ticket. It's in my back pocket. 
I hope. I'll need it when I die or when Jesus comes back. But until then, it's just in the back pocket. Jesus didn't just wait for his death. It was all about the death. I think Jesus would have probably died at a lot younger age. Jesus didn't just wait for his death. Even though his death was the ultimate focus of his life, he said many times, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. But what he didn't do was just sit around waiting. He didn't sit around grumbling about the food. He didn't sit around grumbling about the color of the walls in the temple. The comfort of the pillows. What Jesus was doing was teaching and bringing his kingdom. Working to show us what true humanity could be. Being the full foretaste of the kingdom of God. This culminated in his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. And so now church, church, this is our role to be like Jesus, to be working while we wait, praying that he would come, absolutely, praying that that moment would come when he would show his glory to the whole world. But in the meantime, we work, we work to show what true humanity looks like. We work to be salt and light, not sitting in the pews grumbling about our church community, but gathering to pray for one another, to encourage one another so that when we go out, we can shine brightly in the places that God has called us to be embracing that same sacrificial lifestyle. Praying, Jesus, let your kingdom come, let your will be done here as it is in heaven. And I want to tell you that Christian, your life in Jesus is shown most profoundly in the midst of your suffering. And the world is watching as we do that. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.